Hello and welcome to the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast, where we talk about pursuing a lifestyle of complete dependence on God, how to grow and multiply yourself as a disciple of Jesus, and how to demonstrate the good news. I'm Andy Tier, and I'd like to personally thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Eric Cummings, a member of Crossroads and the director of a local charity called Community One. Our conversation is a follow-up to a sermon that Eric preached at Crossroads entitled Foundational Changes. Eric's message was taught from the last portion of John chapter 13 and centered on Jesus's command to love one another. As a director of a charity with a stated mission to see neighbors loved, community restored, and hope renewed, Eric is uniquely positioned to share on the topic of loving one another, and more importantly, doing that, loving like Jesus. Adrian and I sat down with him Sunday afternoon after he preached his message and spent a little time getting to know more about him and the work and ministry of Community One. Following our conversation with Eric, we met with our lead pastor, Phil Heller, to ask him for further insight into Jesus's command and to discuss even more ways to apply it in our day-to-day life. In this podcast episode, our conversation with Phil will immediately follow our interview with Eric Cummings. So be sure to stick around after we say goodbye to Eric. After your sermon this morning, I just thought it'd be really cool if we had a chance just to ask you a couple questions. And and I'd like to start just kind of getting to know you a little better, Eric. So um, I know when you started your sermon this morning, you were talking about um, how you're a Timothy of Crossroads, like you kind of came through this church and then launched out of it into Community One. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what you feel your personal calling is? Sure, and apparently that's um, that's becoming commonplace for outreach pastors or outreach leaders that this church is to come into the church and then go out of the church. So um, you really feel the you you really feel a pull to do that um, just because of the the culture of our church to be outreach focused and you know other focused. Um, you know, my work uh, at Crossroads was like a lot of people's. It just unfolded over time, and I had several different roles what I while I was here, but. Uh, in about the mid 2000s, uh, we had a leadership change and we had some staff changes and um, I was asked to kind of pick up the mantle of community outreach, which I didn't really know what that meant at all. Uh, it sounded kind of like strange to me at the time. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they said, hey, just clean sheet this thing, start over and figure out what we should be doing to, you know, to love our neighbors and to be the church in the world today. And uh, that was just a wonderful time of discovery and uh, getting out of the church. They gave me permission to kind of spend a year in the city, talking to people, working, interviewing pastors of urban churches, um, talking with our nonprofit leaders and organizing them together. And just to try to understand what was actually uh, the role of the church in the world today and in our city, in our community. Uh, and it was, a, it was a wonderful time. We had extended seasons of prayer with other leaders and pastors from around the community. We kind of tried out and tested engagement in different parts of our community in different neighborhoods. Uh, we, started our, um, we started our educational programs to talk about social justice and biblical justice and reaching neighborhoods and neighbors. Um, started our, our urban van tours as educational purposes, just our all sorts of neat and new things. Um, we refined our partnerships down to a handful that we could really invest heavily in over time uh, and just started focusing on, uh, you know, what we needed to be doing. And, and um, 
after some time in, in doing that, some doors opened for us, really. I think God just, we were trying to really connect to one particular neighborhood. And no matter what we did or how hard we tried, it just would not work. We just could not get connected there. And that was really disappointing. But I think what God was doing was a different movement. He had a different place, a different idea for us. Uh, and we ended up in an initiative that was launched in the Glenwood neighborhood. So that would have been in the mid-2000s. Um, and that was our first kind of foray into neighborhood work, neighborhood organizing, neighborhood vitalization, neighborhood engagement, uh, which then just uh, took on a life of its own. And it started to really illuminate for us what was different about about just meeting the needs of the poor, the Matthew 25, meeting the immediate needs of people, which is important, Jesus said. But also, what does it look like not just to be kind of arm's length from people in that sense, but to engage with people and to build friendships and partnerships and relationships and to make multi-decade commitments to neighborhoods and people to grow with them and live with them and understand them and be a part of their lives. And when we started doing that and started seeing the fruit of what it meant for us to invest as God's people in a place for an extended period of time, that became very, very attractive to me and and it really uh, deep in my heart, I really, I really felt that, and it started to build this energy inside of me for how do we go deeper? How do we mobilize more? How do we connect more people? How do we expand our engagement more on this relational level with people where they are and not where we want them to be? And of course, I'm, I'm really kind of glossing over a few years of work pretty rapidly, but our thinking shifted greatly during, during that time. And, uh, you know, it was during that season as well of engaging with people in neighborhoods on the ground and helping that we realized that there was some really important things that we could do as God's people and as a church. And this is always kind of one of those things that's a little bit weird. It's like the church is the church and it is an organization that's resourced and called and has a personality and a mission just like people do. But at the same time, each individual person of faith, each individual Christ follower also is important and gifted and should be connected to specific work as well. Um, and so we wanted to try to figure out how to grow that and how to do that and how not just to keep this at crossroads. Because when we started figuring out, you know, we could really make a difference if we invested in this school for 20 years or if we as the church and God's people started investing in the condition of housing in our community, which was just absolutely atrocious, you know, not only would these be high impact, life changing opportunities for us to engage in important work, it would also um, it would also bring people life on life with one another, which was critically important to what we were trying to accomplish. Um, the best work, the most Christ-like work is going to happen when we go to where people are and connect to them in their lives where they live and become part of what's going on. And when their problems become our problems, then solutions start to really be found and sought after in really significant ways. So after working at this for quite a while, and I loved my work as the outreach pastor here and engaged in it and was planning to do it for as long as I could. Um, but we started to believe that, you know, it really needs maybe another organization, a third party, a neutral organization that could be sent out, that didn't have church in its name, that could really help to engage the entire faith community and more churches and more people in life-on-life -life work directly in neighborhoods. And that was kind of the genesis of Community One, 
let's build and send out another neutral platform of engagement into our community so that we can continue to focus deeply on work in places where people live. And uh, all of these things have, of course, unfolded over years of time. And when Community One was born, and then uh, we, uh, we were a group here around the table of some elders and, and outreach team members working. Um, and then after a while, we needed a leader and needed somebody to take it out of the church. And I had no intention of doing that, but don't ever tell God what you're not going to do. Um, and it just happened that it felt like with the business past that I have and the ministry experience, that this really was something that God was asking me to, to do. And uh, so I, I kind of submitted my name and said, if you guys want, I, I, I'll give it a shot. And I got the job. And so away we went. And the year during 2012, uh, the church gave me the opportunity to spend about half of my time working on my ministry work, outreach and guest services and things here, but also about half my time preparing Community One for a launch, which happened the beginning of 2013, uh, where we earnestly launched out and went and started working and building platforms and programs to work in neighborhoods. So that's kind of the timetable of what happened. But what God did in my heart was a work of time also. And just a work of drawing me and others in to see what he really was calling us to do at the time. So it wasn't an overnight, it wasn't an overnight thing. It took some time. So how is, um, you launched, we launched Community One um, seven, seven years ago, almost eight, right? But um, how has that allowed you to work with other organizations? Um, what are some of the things that you've been able to, to do with Community One? And, and tell me also, like, what are you most excited about with, with, with what's going on right now? Well, those are some, wow, those are some big questions. All of them are just terrific questions. Um, what have we been able to do with Community One? Well, over the, over the years, we've tried out and tested and launched different types of programs. And, and you need vehicles. You need ways to get people into places where they can learn and express themselves. And we found that housing was a great vehicle because there was so much need, it connected people life on life, and there was so much opportunity to do that. So the first things kind of out of the gate, we started working on the condition of housing and, and moving and mobilizing people and teams and groups and churches and even businesses and other organizations to start bringing resources to bear on housing in marginalized neighborhoods. Neighborhoods where, you know, we had a housing catastrophe, it just took 40 or 50 years to happen. So it kind of gets overlooked when that's the case. Uh, so we started that way, but over time, we also learned the importance of focusing on neighborhoods. And by that, I mean housing is this physical, tangible thing that you can focus on and see results. And it does engage with people because people's you know, lives are lived in housing and experience there. Um, but whole neighborhoods, whole sections of our cities, just um, with, without the resources, without the voice, without the opportunity and without the experience to be able to band together and to organize and to work in an, in, an, in an organized and concerted fashion to start helping to change their own destiny, their own future. And so this process of working in neighborhoods and neighborhood revitalization is, is just doing, doing that, coming alongside, helping to bring processes to bear where people can articulate their hopes and dreams the things they value and love about their own neighborhood and their own neighbors already, working from positions of strengths and not weaknesses and from assets and not deficits, um, and then letting them figure out and be a part of how things will change in the future. 
And that's a very different way to approach neighborhoods than really is traditionally done where you might have a large entity or a government-based entity come in and just do things to neighborhoods without taking the time to get to know people and understand them and live life with them. And we took a different tack. It's like, let's build relationships first. Let's get to know people first. Let's listen well before we do any talking. And so we slowly built up this, uh, this neighborhood revitalization program as well at Community One uh, that's, uh, that's engaged right now in the TP Park neighborhood uh, and very focused for several years there in that neighborhood. So programming was an important part of what we did next. And, uh, you know, along the way, I'm trying to answer some of your questions. So they're really good questions. Um, you know, partnership and collaboration is incredibly important in, in these kinds of undertakings. There's no one organization or one church or one group that's going to be able to, to create systemic change in neighborhoods over time. It's just not going to be a single-handed job. So building relationships, building partnerships, finding the teams of people that could bring the resources and mission that they've already identified to bear in neighborhoods where help was needed. That was a critical part of the work that we were doing too. And of course, while we, we mobilize lots of volunteers, we also mobilize you know, the local government and other nonprofit agencies and, um, and neighborhood-based organizations and schools and others to bring their expertise and resources to bear in a collaborative way. Uh, so one of the things we've been able to do is build lots of relationships uh, and not only with our neighbors, but also with or other organizations and agencies that agree and, and, and want to invest in those things as well. And, you know, what are we excited about? I mean, I, I think when our feet hit the floor every day, we're just excited about the, the human potential of people, the, the unlocking of possibility in people, of seeing people for the first time answer the question, you know, what do you think is important? You know, they've never been asked those questions before. What's important to you? What is, what's a dream of yours? What, what dream do you have for your kids in this neighborhood? Um, all of those things. And just seeing the physical transformation that happens around people as well. All of these things get us very, very excited. And so we're excited for the work that's been done. And we're thankful to God and to all those who've been a part of that. But we're very excited about what's, what's coming. And we are, we've learned some lessons this year. In the pandemic year has been hard for everyone. Um, but we've learned some very interesting lessons this year that we are going to translate right into our programming in 2021, which will, um, we, we believe, give more opportunities and a richer experience, not only for people to be loved, but for uh, those people who want to, to go and love as well. So we're really serving both of those audiences of people. So speaking of the pandemic and, you know, what's going on in 2020, you guys um, were a big part in an app or a program um, website called Need a Neighbor. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I could. And it's, uh, there's a little bit of a, like everything, there's a story to be told. And I was in, this was um, mid-March, sitting in a, in a conference room much like this one with, surrounded by nonprofit leaders from Christian nonprofits in Evansville. And we had gotten together as this pandemic kind of slowly crept into Evansville and going, what are we going to do? How do we, you know, this is going to change everything about how we engage our community. And so I was listening as we went around the table and I'm listening to, you know, people talk about the shelters and the food programs and the, the different things. And I'm like, well, we don't have shelters. We don't have feeding programs. People don't come to us. We go to people. That's how we do our work. What does this mean for us and what we should be doing in this moment? 
And that was really the beginning of the idea. It's like we have to find a way to start meeting needs when we go into lockdown because people aren't going to be able to get to resources. They're not going to be able to get to the food. They're not going to be able to get to help. They're not going to be able to get what they need. And that was the first kind of idea about what need a neighbor would be. And I blurted out at that table, well, when we're going to create a connecting organization that's going to help meet needs right where neighbors live. And <laughs> they're looking at the table going, oh, you are? Okay, great. And I remember somebody, one of the other leaders said, I'd like to know more about that. And so we subsequently had a couple of meetings and sat down together. It was Ross Chapman of For Evansville. And, uh, you know, Ross and his organization are doing great work in building collaborative teams and, and uniting people in, in transformative work. And so we worked with Ross and his team over the period of, of about a week or so. We laid out a launch schedule on what this thing might look like. I called our web developer and said, can you do this? And we all just kind of said, uh, let's try. You know, it's we didn't have any choice. We needed to do something. And those are those moments where you have permission to do whatever it takes. And if you fail, you fail, but you've got to do something. And uh, and so we did. And we just took a section of one of the tools on our website that we already used to connect people to neighbors. We pulled it out. I was up late one night looking for web domains to, you know, I found needaneighbor.org. It's like, thank you, Lord. And so we created this thing and threw it in there and, and branded it and away we went. And the idea was very simple. What do we think would be six needs that people would have who were stuck in their homes that volunteers from local churches could, could meet? And it would be considered an essential service because we would be delivering essential supplies and food and meeting needs for people. And so we came up with six ideas. Um, I need a meal. I need groceries. I need a phone call. Somebody check in on me. I need prayer. Um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, there was one more. Um, oh, I need, a, I need help with a financial referral. I have a financial issue. So we kind of baked those into the, this little website and put it out there and just started spreading the word. And uh, Ross and I were on every news station and everybody who would listen. We went on Zoom calls with them and just put the word out. We went door to door in neighborhoods, hanging door hangers. We put out cards, talked through other nonprofits. And people just started getting on there and posting their needs. But at the same time, on the front end, we were working with Crossroads in particular. You know, Crossroads really led in the church realms in this whole thing and uh, helped us get it off the ground, helped to prepare for what that would look like, started communicating with people and preparing volunteers. And uh, we just kind of launched this thing out there and people started posting their needs. And we just trained volunteers on the fly with Zoom and gave them access to it and contacted every church we knew and could, could get a hold of to, to be a part of that. And it's kind of like the rest is history. And we started by week two, we were meeting 100 needs a week. Um, about 30 churches in all ended up signing on to the platform. Over 300 volunteers signed on to the platform. Not all of them you know, engaged in meeting a need or a project, but it was an immediate response. It was nothing like we'd seen in the years that we've been doing uh, community work here in Evansville the response from the church was immediate and overwhelming. And so it was a great joy to be a part of that. And for about 90 days, we kept that up until they opened the city again. And the other nonprofits started opening back up and feeding programs were back open again. And the uh, funding started to flow into nonprofits. Then we idled the site the first week of July. We had it up the first week of April, idled it the first week of July. But in that time, over 1,100 individual needs of people were met. Um, and, and hundreds of, uh, of uh, families were touched and volunteers participated. 
and it was uh, it was one of those things that you wish you could keep going, but it was one of those things too that was really kind of built for the moment. But what we learned about that was if we build simple tools and they are in in alignment with the mission that Jesus has has you know commissioned us to, and people can do it, they will respond with love and they will respond with compassion. They will be a part of it. And so we've taken what we learned in Need a Neighbor, and now we're baking some of that simplicity and some of that broader project base into some of the things that you'll see coming out of Community One in 2021. That's awesome. So with speaking of that, like right now and going forward with Community One, um, what are ways that, that people can be involved right now? Um, I know that... Um, or, or I shouldn't say I know, from what I've seen, I, I feel as though um, some of that, um, the one-on-one the -on -one work that you've done, the, like in people's homes and stuff, is, is a little bit slowed down because of where we are in the pandemic. But um, if, if there are volunteers that want to get involved, what are ways that you would have them serve now? That's a, that's a great question. And like you mentioned, the um, the kind of like in-home in kind of projects that we do with people, that's really on hold completely because of just the reality of our situation. That also happens to be the program that's going to change the most. So the timing is actually pretty good because we're really rebuilding that on the back end. So they're really, we're not, we're not moving groups and teams into that area right now. Um, but our other program, our whole house rehabs, where we take abandoned vacant homes and we pull volunteers together and gut them and then work in partnership to rebuild them and sell them affordably. We have four homes in production right now, which is more than we've ever had going at once. And uh, so we do have a weekly cruise. Right now, as we finish two houses, um, they're not serving as much, but we will be launching off another house right at the first of the year. And then we'll bring demolition teams back in and, and larger groups probably after that. Um, and then in the neighborhoods themselves, we still work on a weekly and monthly basis with, with leadership groups from the neighborhood and helping them to continue to move forward and making change in their, in their neighborhood. But they're also struggling with the pandemic in that they can't bring their own people together in big groups and do that as well. So we don't want to say there's no way to volunteer. I would say right now, if you really want to prepare yourself for understanding how to engage in life-on-life -life ministry, I would be taking advantage of things like the Learn with Leaders. I would be educating myself on what it is really about to engage with people where they are in the neighborhoods they live in and how to love people through relationship and friendship and partnership and not just giving things to people or doing things for people. That's a Matthew 25 reality that Jesus says we want to make sure that we take care of the least of these. But we're also called to be sure that we know how to actually live in partnership and with friendship and relationship with people so we can be part of change as well. And we have books that we can, we can suggest to people to read and, again, learn with leaders and even coming to Community One and talking a little bit about how we engage with this posture of learning and listening and loving and not just telling, which is not natural for us a lot. Um, so I think this is a season of learning. This is a season of talking about things. This is a season of engaging at that level as we prepare uh, to come out of the gates, I think, in 2021 and go deeper and farther. You know, and uh, that's just a plan. And if one thing we've learned about this season is plans are just good for today. Who knows what it'll be like in three months or six months? I, I don't have any idea, but that's what we're hoping for. So if you can just recommend one book for somebody to start out with, if they're like, yes, I want to learn, what one book would you recommend? 
You know, I think a really great start is Toxic Charity by Robert Lupton. I think it's just a really great read to understand why some of the things we do as, as Christ followers are not actually helpful and even can be harmful to people. And they, aren't, they don't treat people with dignity sometimes. Even our best intentions are, are not helpful. So that would be one, but there would be a whole, there would be a, several of them. But, but Toxic Charity by, by Robert Lupton is one that, that I would suggest. Um, another would be um, Wayne Gordon wrote a book called Who is My Neighbor? And it's a great little, it's got 40 chapters, but the chapters are like two pages long. And it's just a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan on, you know, identifying who are really, who are the neighbors we're supposed to be loving? And uh, those are two great books. And both of those men have been part of a national organization called the Christian Community Development Association, or we call it CCDA. And it's a national organization that really helps people of faith and others engage meaningfully in neighborhood revitalization, neighborhood engagement in dignified and helpful ways. So I would recommend those two books. That's awesome. And before we go, Eric, can you tell us just a little bit about um, the Love Your Neighbor campaign that uh, I know here at Crossroads, we're just starting to participate in this. Can you tell us what that entails? Yeah, as far as, far as the, uh, the uh, storytelling app and the, the, those, the things that we're working on there. Is that, yeah. Um, so it was about a year or so ago, and, and um, we started to, to, to resurrect this idea again that, you know, there just, there just has to be a way for churches and church leaders to understand what's going on with their people. Are we really impacting the world? Are we not? Are we making a difference? How do you measure that? In the nonprofit world, we do a lot of measuring. You know, we want to know if the things we're doing are making a difference. And I know that our church leaders dearly want that too. They want to know if their people are making a difference. And if so, how? And what can the leaders of churches learn about what their people are already doing to love their neighbors to help lead them into places where they can have more impact in, in the world? And so we created this very simple web-based app. You don't download it from the app store or anything. It's just lynevv.org, which stands for loveyourneighborevansville.org. You just go there on a browser on your phone or anything, uh, any web, web device that has a, a browser, and you just log in Crossroads Christian Church and type in the password cccgo, which is your website. And when you love a neighbor, just type in what you did and send it. And it kind of keeps track of, it counts those, so we can see the numbers of acts of love, but it also compiles the stories. And then we just share those stories with the church leaders so they know what their people are doing. It's completely anonymous. Um, people don't have to share who they are. It's not about those types of things. It's just about letting people know what difference we're making in the world today. And we launched that last year. We piloted it with three local churches of different sizes and different, in uh, really different locations. And they all approached it a little bit differently. It was very interesting. Um, but one of the churches that really embraced it, they did over 3,000, reported over 3,000 acts of love by the people of their church over about an eight-month period. And from those acts of love, our team was able to interpret those and provide a data report to the church that explained to them who their people were loving and how they were loving them and what affinity groups they were naturally already serving in the community. And this was information that the church leaders had no idea existed. They had no idea that their church family was doing this in the community. And if you heard of my message, I read some of those this morning as well, just to what some of those were. And they're, 
They're astonishing and they're beautiful and they're Christ-like, um, but they're helpful and they're encouraging. And, uh, you know, so we just launched that simple tool. We've got plans in the future to do more with it, to make it more accessible in and outside of Evansville. Um, but it's just, again, a tool that our church family can use to say, you know, I, I love the neighbor by doing this. And then we can celebrate that together and leaders know what's going on in our community. So that was just the simple idea behind it. Let's figure out if we're really making a difference. And that's something we all want to know. That's awesome. Well, that's all that we have for you. But thank you so much for coming in uh, just on your time off and and joining us today. Also, thanks so much for this weekend. We loved hearing from you. Um, I know I have a lot to think about uh, from the sermon today. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks so much for joining us and what you're doing for our city. It has been a genuine pleasure and I uh, just really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. See you. See you later. Ooh, okay, you. well, that was the meat of of Eric and his organization. Uh, but we wanted to jump in, Phil, with you with just kind of some follow-ups from his sermon. Uh, just wanted to hear your perspective on them. So uh, first, Eric talked about Jesus giving the disciples a new command to mm-hmm. love one another, uh, to give love and receive love. That was kind of a new concept for me or just a new way of hearing that. Uh, but can you talk about the mind shift that it takes to go from just loving someone receive or offering that love to this kind of idea of reciprocal love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I loved what Eric had to say is that Jesus wasn't given a new command meaning like, Oh, love your neighbor. That's something new. I haven't heard that before. I mean, that was baked into Judaism and the old Testament law, but it was a, a new way of loving. And that was how Jesus loved. And um, I think first of all, so much, of our world, we think of love as something that we receive, first of all, you know, and I don't think that Jesus's love is the first of all on the receiving, it's on the giving side. I kind of think like, who's going to take the first step? You know, have you ever been in one of those relationships where, you know, you're waiting for the other person to kind of make the first move, whether that be, you know, uh, in, in any dynamic. And I think Jesus type of love, he takes the first step. And reciprocal love, it takes that person being the first one. I think that's a Jesus kind of love. And so obviously, if we're both in a relationship taking that that first step or taking the step toward that person, that's what causes it to be reciprocal. Um, certainly, there's a lot of people in this, love, in this world who are just wanting to receive love. You know, they're just looking for somebody to love them. Um, I think that's why we need to love like Jesus, because there's a lot of people in our world who need love. But ultimately, love is a giving um, first and then a receiving second is how I would describe that. Well, another thing you talked about was how people that were following him would be recognized by their love, the love they have for one another. He said that it was this irresistible movement of love that would be so countercultural, is what Eric said, that no one would be able to resist it or would want to. And when I think about how Christianity is viewed now in the world, it seems very different than that. You know, I was thinking about just myself, like how people recognize some of my past jobs that I was a Christian, you know, and a lot of times uh, it was just like, you know, hey, you don't, you don't cuss, you don't do this, you don't do that, you know, and they notice these other little things. So, so 
where where did we go wrong and like how how is it that christians are recognized by these other pieces and not by the one identifier that christ called out i think we certainly somewhere got a reputation for being known for what we are not for or what we're against instead of what we're for uh, about what we hate instead of what we love and um when I think about Jesus, I mean, one of the things that's been obvious as we've gone through the Gospel of John is the way he interacts with others. And his, his default, I mean, every time was to see the person, to value them, to love them. That doesn't mean he was soft on sin. That doesn't mean that he you know, just turned a blind eye to what the person was doing. I mean, in none of those cases that we read in the, in the Gospel of John did he do that. But he always led with love. He always made a person feel loved, and then he had an opportunity to influence them. So, I mean, I, I think that's how he modeled it for us. And I would want people to know me as a Christ follower, not because of the things I don't do, <laughs> or maybe the things that I, uh, you know, don't stand for, but more the things that I do, the things that I, I stand for, you know, and obviously I want the number one thing to be that I love them, you know, that, that they feel loved when they're around me or in, in my presence because of, because of the love I've received for Jesus then from Jesus. I, I want to give that back to them, right? Think of the people uh, that it's hardest to love. That's where I think Christ and the difference he makes really shines through. So Jesus said, you know, what good is it if you kind of love those who love you? But if you love your enemies, you do good to those who hate you, you bless those who curse you. That's really when the different type of love kicks in, you know, that's the loving first instead of waiting to be loved. Right. And I think that's what could make a difference in the world. I mean, Jesus says from the cross after he's had nails driven in his hands and his feet, you know, he says from the cross, you know, father, forgive them. They know what they don't know what they're doing. I, I see that as a, as a huge expression of love, loving those people who, had done him wrong, you could say, right? We were talking um, with Eric, with Eric, and I was. We were looking for ways that we could um, encourage people to show love to their neighbor right now. You know, um, even during this time of pandemic, I think it'd be fun, Phil. I mean, do you have some ideas as to how people could do that right now? Well, I think definitely being proactive. I mean, you think about the people who live around us, just checking on them. We, we gave some of those early ideas, you know, back in March, which seems like eons ago right now. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the tension, the anxiety, the fatigue is different in now almost September as it was in March, but it's nonetheless uh, an opportunity to serve. Right. So people might be more, you know, um, cranked up right now because of COVID, not even maybe physically, but just emotionally, certainly spiritually or mentally. You know, it's just, a, it's, a, it's been an exhausting run at this. And uh, I think that's where we could certainly just say, hey, how can I pray for you today? Or, or hey, I picked up a, you know, a, a snack for you. I mean, just, just do something in kindness to just be simple or just be patient. I mean, we're interacting with lots of people who have all kinds of dynamics they're dealing with. I mean, as our kids go back to school, I think about teachers, administrators, school bus drivers. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're having to adjust just as much as anybody else. And, you know, we as parents can get frustrated at all the differences about the school year. 
but we also could take this time to just really encourage those who are, you know, in the school system, who are working on the front line of that, because their world has drastically changed. I, you know, I had lunch with some friends yesterday who are educate, in education, and they were just talking about all the things they've had to do differently this school year because of COVID, you know, and, you know, they're just like, this, this is just absolutely crazy, you know, so... I mean, there's never never a bad time to be patient. <laughs> there's never a bad time to be generous. You know, I've just tried to make eye contact with people because you can only see from here down, right? Yeah. And it's awkward. So like any person I see, I just try to look at, at them in the eyes and try to just try to, you know, exude joy from the eyes up if at all possible. I mean, that that sounds corny, but it's just something practical I think we could all do instead of just, you know, kind of, kicking the dirt as we uh, walk to our car from a store or wherever. I love but, how um, Eric said, and when we interviewed him yesterday, uh, he said towards the end there, he said about, about even the love your neighbor app. He just said, you know, we just have to do something. And even, even if it fails or goes wrong, like we just have to try something. And I feel like we're all just kind of reaching this, um, you know, stage where we kind of feel that way of just like, let's try something, let's be innovative. You know, we can't just sit here anymore. We're getting restless, you know, and I think some really cool things are coming out of that. But I think we can bring that into our own lives of like, this is a weird time. I know I've lived next door to my neighbor for 10 years and I've never talked to them. And so it'd be really weird if out of the blue, I just talk to them now, but I'm going to do it because it's a weird time and they can forgive that, you know, like it's just a really interesting time. So I just think it's a really cool time to be bold and, and, and our faith and, and just trying stuff. And it's okay to fail because our world is failing right now. Yeah. Being present, being aware and, and being proactive, taking a little bit of a risk. I mean, that's certainly um, not, not, uh, not something to be bashful about in that regard. What's one thing that you are loving right now? One, what, uh, explain the question. I'm sorry. What's one thing that you're loving right now? Like maybe you're reading a good book. Maybe you heard a good sermon. Oh gosh. Well, book wise then, and it's really cool actually, is a book called Work Matters because I've just lately been really hit by um, just vocation as ministry, like what's, what's your calling, you know, and um it's really neat, you know, that the, that whole, like, doing your work is under the Lord, and, and that just the work that you do on a day-to-day basis is an act of love, too. It's an act of love to your community, uh, to your family, to the, everyone, you know, to the people around you in your immediate circle and beyond. And, um, yeah, it's just a great, it's a great book. I'm really enjoying it. This is maybe a different answer, but one of the things I'm loving right now is I'm currently working on the 2021 teaching calendar. So that's something related to my job, but uh, just really praying and dreaming about what are the things we would teach in the coming year. So it kind of felt like I got a free pass a little bit. I mean, not that teaching through the Gospel of John has been easy by any stretch, but like I haven't had to think about like multiple you know, books of the Bible or multiple sermon series. They've all kind of been uh, straight from, you know, the gospel of John. So once we charted that out, it's guided us through this entire year. So next year we don't intend or don't have intentions to teaching just through one book. We'll still do a lot of teaching through scripture, obviously, but so I've kind of charted out, uh, you know, the, 
next uh, next year and thinking and praying about what those look like and putting them together. So have uh, some planning retreat toward the end of this uh, coming month, September, that kind of lay those out. So it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've been involved with that in past ministries uh, and like youth ministry. I did all that for, you know, uh, years, but uh, even with uh, some of the teaching series, I've been a part in, in other uh, church contexts. So it's been fun to kind of chart that. And it's the, my first time to do that as a lead pastor, right? So I've never done this before in this seat. So it's been fun. I've been connecting with other uh, pastors and just asking their approaches and kind of learning how to do that. So it's kind of been a new sport, but a lot of fun. One thing I'm loving right now is Mother's Morning Out at church at Crossroads. Um we just, today was the first day and I was, I mean, even though I worked there, I was still extremely impressed by the whole, um, how everything worked and the whole system that they had in place to keep the kids safe. It made me feel very comfortable dropping my son off. And, um, when he, when we picked him up, I just said, you know, like, how was your day? And he's like, I loved it. And he's, he's not even three yet. And he said he was so enthusiastic about it. And then even later tonight, he just said, my teacher told me today that we don't share germs. <laughs> I was like, Oh, good. You know, so it's just awesome to see like, it, um, some of the people that actually spoke into my life growing up are now speaking into my son's life. And just, I don't know, it's making me really excited and I'm loving that right now. So all right. Well, our thanks go out to Phil Heller and Eric Cummings for joining us for this episode of the podcast. And I want to thank you for joining us as well. There are links to the Community One website and for the Love Your Neighbor app that Eric mentioned at cccgo.com forward slash podcasts. And again, thank you for joining us today. We hope this episode of the podcast has encouraged you to go to be the church and live in love like Jesus. Jesus.